He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe 2016. Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Portuguese Football Show. Brought to you by Prossi Mijonada and hosted by me, Aaron. We've got a really good show for you today. Lots has happened in the world of Portuguese football and beyond. As usual, we've got the Primeira Liga Roundup, we've got the Portuguese Abroad, and we've got a special preview between Sporting and Benfica, which is set to take place on Monday evening at 9.30pm. I am joined for that by Felipe Melo. He is a new writer on the Proxima Jornada team and is a tactics expert, so we'll be talking about where we think the game will be won and lost and provide you with everything you need to know before kick-off. And they'll be looking at some of the transfer speculation and some of the confirmed transfers as there's been lots of movement in the last couple of days. And also the ins and outs uh, managerial-wise. We've saw quite a few changes and changes that are anticipated in the next couple of days. So we'll be also touching on those. So to kick off, I'll be starting with the Portuguese abroad. And where better to start than with a Portuguese manager and a manager who has recently won the Copa Libertadores, and that is Abel Ferreira at Palmeiras. His side won 1-0, uh, courtesy of a 98th minute winner in what was, wasn't the best of games. In the first half, there wasn't much action at all. Second half wasn't much better in the early proceedings, but the game opened up as it went on, and the main thing for Ferreira and his team is that they got the win. And they scored the late goal. Absolute jubilation. And congratulations to Abel. He becomes the second Portuguese manager in as many years to lift the Copa de Libertadores after Jorge Jesus with Flamengo last season. It's a really historic win for Palmeiras. It's only their second ever Copa title. And to see a Portuguese manager doing well outside of Portugal, outside of Europe, in South America, it's, it's really good to see. And for Abel, on a personal level, it's his first major honour as a manager. So it's really brilliant to see. It's by far and away the biggest prize in South American football. And for it to be an all-Brazilian final as well was something special for the country of Brazil. Palmeiras took on Santos in the final. And and honestly, we spoke about it last week. He Palmeiras are really excelling on the Ferreira and it, it is brilliant to see. And they're into the final of the Copa do Brasil as well. So that presents itself as another chance to win silverware. So we're hoping he can do a double. And they're currently fifth in the table. They're 10 points off. International at the top. So difficult to claw back that many points. But as I say, Copa Libertadores by far exceeded expectation by by not even going far in the Libertadores, but winning the entire thing is just incredible for the supporters and the people associated with Palmeiras. For Abel and his team, so yeah, a huge congratulations to Ferreira for that one. I certainly celebrated that 98th minute winner and yeah, it was just great to see. Now on to the players playing abroad and it was business as usual for many of them. Uh, in particular, Andre Silva, who it feels like every week he scores for Einstein Frankfurt and he was at it again. He scored two more. So he's now overtaking Erling Haaland as the second top goal scorer. He's now behind just Robert Lewandowski. He's got 16 goals in 18 games. And 
as I say, he's just so consistent. Not only is he scoring goals, but he's scoring important goals. He's helping his team to victory. They won again, 3-1, against Hertha Berlin. And Andre really does love playing against Hertha Berlin. He turns up, uh, loves scoring against them. He did so last season as well. And, yeah, they, even in the table, you know, Eintracht at the start of the season, what their hopes were, you know, it was only two seasons ago when they played against Benfica in the Europa League. You know, going far in Europe is, is their ambition. Last season it didn't really work out, but now uh, they're up to fourth in the table, so they're in a Champions League spot. They're on 33 points. They're only two points off Wolfsburg in third place. Uh, they were temporarily third place when they won yesterday, but uh, results on Sunday night meant they dropped down to fourth. But they're at the halfway point, or just after the halfway point in this season, and they're in really good form. They've got someone on uh, up there in the striker position who's putting the ball in the back of the net and you know goals win games, and that's what he's doing at the moment. So long may it continue. I expect next week and the week after to be saying the same things, but he really is just applying such... He's got such consistency in his game now. Uh, everything is sort of coming together for him, and he's actually on course to break a record. So the most goals for an Eintracht Frankfurt player in a single Bundesliga season is 26, and that was Bernd Holzenbein. Apologies to any German listeners if I've... Absolutely butchered that surname and the first name. But yeah, that was in the 1976-77 season and he scored 26 goals. Andre at the moment, as I said, has got 16 goals. So he's got another 15 league games to score 10 goals uh, to equal it and to score 11 to beat it. Now, the way that he's playing at the moment, you can see him scoring another 10-11 goals. But it's whether he can continue on, I'm sure, on a personal level. Uh, he won't be thinking too much about that record. He'll be just thinking about applying himself and making sure his team can continue to move up the table. But it would be you know great if he could put himself in the history books of of a club like Eintracht Frankfurt in in a league like the Bundesliga, uh, which is you know so rich in in talents and history. So that would be a wonderful achievement for him on a personal level. And let's hope that he does end up playing in European football next season with Eintracht. I'd love to see him back in the Europa League and even possibly the Champions League. It's always good to see the Portuguese players playing at the highest level in European competition and performing at a high standard, playing amongst and against Europe's best players. So that's that'll be great to see. So um, still a long way to go. But yeah, if he continues on the way he is, who's to say that Eintracht you know, don't make it into Europe next season? And that he won't have broken the record. We all hope that he will. And now over to Italy, to Rafael Liao and Milan. They won again. Uh, they now got a two-point gap over Inter at the top. Uh, Rafael Liao, he started the game and played with purpose, direct running, uh, all the things we used to see from a Rafael Liao performance. He won the, f- the penalty as well, the penalty which put AC Milan, I say put them ahead. The initial penalty was missed by Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but uh, Antti Rebic followed it up to make it 1-0. They eventually ran out 2-1 winners over Bologna, so a very important uh, and decisive action from Liao to win the penalty that led to that first goal. Uh, again, great to see Portuguese player, both him and Diogo Dallo, uh, top of Serie A. Brilliant. And then we go over to Spain where a bit of a similar story. Joao Felix, another player who's at the top of his respective league. He's uh, Atletico Madrid are just 
at, with the cruising to the title at the moment. Again, it's you know we're only at the halfway point, but they've got a ten point lead over Real Madrid, who drop points, and they've got a game in hand, so they could potentially go thirteen points over their city rivals, Real, who obviously will always have the quality to put together a good run themselves, but. Atleti still only conceded nine goals all season. Uh, so, you know, hopefully Joao can continue to influence and play well. His partnership with Luis Suarez has been one of the key factors, especially in the early part of the season. Uh, obviously, he was out the side for a, a short while with an injury. But, yeah, good to see him back in the, uh, in the squad. He started again this weekend in the 4-2 victory over Cadiz. Uh, they've got Celta Vigo at home next so hopefully he can play and put together a good performance and then uh, it's not long at all until the return of Champions League action for Jabal as well the 23rd of February they take on Chelsea uh, at home in the first leg of the uh, knockout round in the Champions League so really looking forward to that one and again staying on Portuguese players who are top of their respective league we go over to France where we've got uh, a crop of Portuguese players who are currently top uh, Lille We've got Jose Font, Cheque, Thiago Dallo, and of course Renato Sanchez, who are top of Ligue 1. They, they've got 48 points. They won 1-0 against Dijon this weekend, and Paris Saint-Germain dropped points. So, really, really important um, victory for, for Lille that they capitalised. Uh, obviously, it's always going to be difficult in a league um, with a club, with a side like PSG, with as much you know, financial power as they've got. But Lille have just they've been phenomenal this year. Jose Font, the captain, has obviously been around for what seems like an eternity. He's still putting in, you know, top class performances each week. Uh, you know, the club captain, the leader, and they've defensively they've been really good. They've conceded just fifteen goals all season in twenty two games, and he's been a major part of that. And uh, I think only Paris Saint Germain have conceded less with 14, so they're doing really well in that aspect, lost just two games all season, you know, a very hard team to break down, and they're on a really good run at the moment as well, they've won four consecutive games, and three of those victories have been 1-0, 1-0 wins, so that sort of shows you how they're playing this season, very hard, very tough to break down, and um, yeah, and they're managing to, to get that decisive goal, and then managed to see the game out. Renato Sanchez has started the season well, uh, then he got an injury, so he's been sort of in and out, playing some minutes here or there. He came on late again today in the 1-0 against Dijon. Um, came on towards the end, I think he only played five or six minutes, but good to see him just out there on the pitch. And they'll need him for that second half of the season. We saw last season how influential, how creative, and how important he is to that Lille side. And, you know, they're top of the league while he's been in and out the side, so things can only get better here on out. So hoping they can stay there and love to see, you know, that crop of players, Sesejeche, Thiago Giallo, those players who are maybe not start every game, but always good to see Portuguese players and there's a good crop of them there who are, you know, providing goals, assists, clean sheets and they're contributing to their team's success. So brilliant to see. And then finally we go to England and a player that I want to focus on um, spoke quite a lot about Ruben Diaz in recent weeks and just what what a difference he's made to Manchester City's defence. But it's another Portuguese player that I want to focus on and it's Bernardo Silva. He sort of established himself as one of 
you know, one of Europe's best players in that season, um, two years back, so the season before last. And then last season he had relatively quiet campaign by his own standards. And this season it's sort of taken his time to get back to his, his best. And in the FA Cup fixture, which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago against Birmingham City, he scored twice and, you know, sort of looked like his old self. Well, since then, he's when he's been in the team, he's been fantastic. I think he deserves, you know, the, the plaudits for that. He was great again against Sheffield United. He didn't score or provide an assist, but it's a real influential display. Um, not long before that, he scored uh, against Aston Villa, an absolutely wonderful strike. Um, played really well against Brighton and Hove Albion. He's just in the team now, and he's putting in top performance after top performance, and it looks like he's slowly getting back to those levels that we saw when he first... Not when he first arrived at the club, because it was his second season, but he was just an absolute monster in that campaign. Um, whether he played central midfield, whether he played out uh, on the wing. And, you know, it's always good news for Portugal if a player like Bernardo Silva is firing on all cylinders, because on his day, he's devastating. He's an absolutely wonderful player, a magician with the ball. Yeah, he just looks like he's getting back to his best. And he, along with... Compatriot Chuel Cancelo and Ruben Diaz, they've had such a good impact this season in particular. Chuel uh, Cancelo took a while to adapt to the way City were playing and maybe struggling to meet the demands of what Guardiola wanted from him. But now we're looking, we're looking at a player who someone described him recently as uh, a midfielder that. Uh, that sort of masquerades as a as a full back, as a left back or a right back, and that's really what he's like. It's like having another man in central midfield, someone who can pick a pass, someone who can, you know, split a defence, but then also someone that can defend and someone that can, you know, help at both ends of the pitch. You know, his his technique when he has, when he shoots, he scored a wonderful goal recently in the top corner. When he, you know, plays crosses, his way to pass, he's just getting better every week and then Ruben Diaz is just I mean what do you say Ugh, he just looks like an absolute hero at the back uh, he's formed, forged an absolutely wonderful partnership with John Stones and yet long may it continue they look favourites for the title um, they look like they're going to win the Premier League in my opinion and City on the day I think when they're playing at their full pelt are the best team in the country so you know, it's just whether they can apply that and have that consistency throughout the rest of the season. Uh, hopefully, Bernardo, Ruben, Joao continue firing on all cylinders and and playing to the uh, the most of their capability. With a season-defining game between Sporting and Benfica to take place, uh, in a game in which Sporting can go nine points clear, I'm joined by a friend and a recent collaborator on the page, Philippe. Philippe, thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you for the invite. Let's go for it. So, such a big fixture at such a crucial time in the season. We've got Sporting who can go, obviously, nine points clear at the top, which is especially in Portuguese football, is a huge lead. Um, they come into this game unbeaten. They're the only side in the top tier who are yet to lose a game. And Benfica, we know, 
are not at the strongest this season. Defensively, they're not looking the best. And Kruber Amarim will be coming into this, although he's an inexperienced manager, he'll be coming into this fixture with knowing that you know nine points at the top, he knows how, how big of a gap that will be. And I'm sure the team talk won't be too difficult because the league table, keeping that unbeaten record, you know that's all those players need. And then on top of that, it's a Lisboa derby, so the motivation is there. Philippe, what are your thoughts on, on the game and how do you see it panning out? What do you think are going to be decisive factors? Yeah, yeah definitely it's going to be a good game. Um, I think it'll be interesting. From sporting point of view, I think it's quite easy to see, especially how they're going to play. Uh, the only difference from the Boavista game will be probably Pedro Gonçalves coming in and Tiago Tomás up front. Uh, in the midfield, obviously, Palhinha is not going to be able to play, so Mateus Nunes in, and João Mario. And in the back is going to be the same the same normal centre-backs and out wide will be Porro and, um, and Nuno Mendes. Uh, Benfica, for the other end, that's going to be a lot more uh, fun and uh, to talk about it because they can do a lot of different things. It depends how Jorge Zuz wants to, to plan out the game because they can go and play three at the back, so to do something similar to what they did against Braga. They can go and play in a 4-4-2 like they normally do, but with two full-backs, two full-backs on the left, as they did against Porto. Or they can play in a more normal way. So we'll be depending on what he wants to do to, to how the game is going to plan out. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the key players there, the likes of Pedro Porro, Nuno Mendes, knowing that you know defensively they're both very sound as well, but... That quality going forward, you know, they can cross, they can take on a man, they can shoot. I mean, we saw Pedro Porro's recently got recent goal was just outstanding. That absolute <laughs> rocket. And uh, do you see the that that being a key uh, in the game, the fullbacks and how they're utilised? Um, yes, but to be fair, I think in sporting point of view, it's going to be how they can explore the spacing behind the centre backs. So, because when you see Sporting play and the biggest threat they have is at the same time the biggest asset in terms of what I mean with this is when they try to play out from the back, they will try to attract the pressure from the opposite team. So imagine Benfica is pressing really high and then that leaves obviously space to go in behind. In case of Benfica with Otamendi and Vertogen, they are quite slow players. So if you think about... Tiago Tomás and Nuno Sanchin going behind, there's a lot of space for them to cover. So I think Sporting will try to attract the pressure. When Benfica is high on the pitch, trying to press Coates or Net or Ferral, they'll try to pop one in behind straight away. So I think it'll be much more a game of trying to bring Benfica in and then playing behind and playing out wide, if you, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, just looking at like... In terms of from a Benfica perspective, obviously they'll be out. They'll be without Jorge Jesus, who's still um, recovering. He's still isolating at the moment from the recent that they thought he had an infection. It turned out that he tested positive for COVID. So, uh, wishing him uh, a speedy recovery. They'll be, I think, the assistant manager will be overseeing that one. And then also they've had their own sort of bout with COVID recently. They've got two players uh, who return to Seychelles tomorrow is Everton and uh, Vlachadimos, the goalkeeper. Both of those players, they, it's not known at the moment whether they'll be in contention for the game. You'd think that they would be, 
they'll have been sort of training while isolating. They'll have been training, you know, on their own and perhaps taking part in the tactical discussions, maybe, you know, using the internet, uh, Zoom or what have you. But they, they'll have to take on more tests in the morning. But if they're past fit, we could possibly... Uh, see those return to the starting lineup, so that's a, a big boost as well. Particularly with uh, someone like Vlachodimos, where they've got confidence in a goalkeeper who starts. You know, he's the starting goalkeeper, so that'll be a big boost. But just looking at the, especially in the big games this season, and even even towards like the back end of last season, we saw Benfica. The biggest criticism that I've saw, particularly online and reaction from Benficistas, is that sometimes the players they don't look motivated, they don't look up for it, whether that's an issue with management, whether that's an issue with the tactics and how they're playing. But you're just looking at the, obviously, the Tassa de Liga semi-final. They lost 2-1 to Braga. Um, before that, they lost 2-0 in the Super Tassa to Porto. And then before that, they lost 3-2 to Braga in the league. Uh, that was at home as well. They're against the sides where the players are expected to to turn up and be countered. And, you know, if you get beat on the day because the other side were, were just better than you, then, you know, fair enough. But I think a big criticism has been that they've just been too easy to dismantle at times, especially defensively. Now, this game is, although they played against Braga and Porto, who are obviously massive rivals within themselves, this one takes on another dimension. Not only are they facing the team who are top of the league, who haven't won the league since you know the start of of the millennium, start of two thousand, the start of the millennium, so just over twenty years since they last won the title. They're also the city rivals. You know, there's a a huge rivalry there. It's. Do you think that's been a problem for for Benfica so far this season? Is from what you've saw, perhaps motivation, and do you think they'll need any extra motivation for tomorrow's match? I think for tomorrow they'll be they'll be fine in terms of motivation. I think the the same attitude will be the one they have against Porto for the league where they draw one one uh, away. Uh, in terms of during the season, I think one of the biggest problems was the perception that people had uh, because of the personality of George Jesus and all the history he had in Portugal and with all the thing he came from from Brazil. And uh, as soon as he came in, he said they were going to play the triple and all of that. I think people assumed it was going to be a lot easier. And that goes to the players as well. Uh, when you hire Otamendi, Vertogen, Darwin, Everton, there's an expectation how you're going to play and how good you're going to be. And the problem was that Benfica was not able to, to keep up with such a high standards. I think if they can survive this period, they will be really strong because they have the quality but they're going to have to survive this period. But for tomorrow, in terms of motivation, I think they'll be they'll be fine. It's the biggest game in comparison <laughs> is Benfica Sporting and then Porto Benfica are the biggest games. So I think everyone will be up for it. Yeah, true. And you just mentioned that, um, Porto. That was, that's sort of what I mean in terms of the reaction from that game is that you're watching Benfica and it was like, Ah, uh, this is the team that we thought we'd see. Yeah, they never won the game. You, you, you rightly mentioned they draw one one, but they, you could see that they matched Porto stride for stride. They were competing for balls in the air, and they were putting in tackles. They were, they just looked really hungry and up for it. And you know, it was one of one of their best performances. Again, they didn't win the game, but against a really bitter rival. So, expecting a a similar type of performance. 
But as you say, sometimes your expectation doesn't match the results. And it can be difficult, I think, for uh, Jorge Jesus's team and, and to get up for those, to get that type of motivation for those smaller games, for those games against the lesser sides and keeping that level of motivation every single week because we know they can play well. Again, we saw it against Porto, but then trying to match that and trying to put that into every game. And I think that brings me on to Sporting because I think that is where the two sides have been different this season. I don't know how you see it, but I feel like they've took on, they're able to to play those really those really difficult games against the teams towards the bottom of the league where perhaps the conditions aren't the best. And we've saw this season with the likes of India's orders and Madeira, the really, you know, whether it be the weather, the storms, the pitch. And we've saw Sporting sort of show character and I've, I've come away from those type of games with three points and being able to also match themselves against the top sides. But it is the rest of the league when you think about... You know, say maybe the top five, the top six, but it's the games against the rest of the the league, the the other you know the other fourteen, fifteen teams that determines where you'll finish at the end of the season because they're who the majority of your games are against. And I think that's been one of the most impressive things for me is that Sporting even the performances had dropped. We spoke about it last on last week's podcast. Uh, they were still managing to get results, perhaps not putting in the greatest performances. But that, for me, is is as impressive as playing well and winning because if you can come away with three points when you haven't played particularly well, that's, for me, the sign of a champion. Anybody, I think, can win a game when they're playing the most fluid football and they're on top. And that's no disrespect to those sides. I just know in the islands particularly they've had you know, quite bad conditions, but play those type of games where it requires a lot more than your skill on the ball. It requires, you know, how much do you want it? And I think they've looked really motivated this season. Yes, I think they were able as well to use the the speech of everyone against them. So if you think about now with this uh, Palinha situation, they cannot play because of the yellow cards. When there was all the big brawl against Famalicão, uh, even when they were supposed to play in Madeira and uh, the weather was really bad and everything that Sporting came out to say was there was pressures for them to play the game. I think they were able to use that spirit that normally are the fans that create and uh, Ruben Amuri was able to create that spirit inside the team to be sick and as you can see everything is against you so you're going to have to go out there and play for yourselves because if they will have a chance they're going to try to bring you down. And in such a young group, that goes quite well. So I think that's why they're using it to feed up all the time. So they are against you. You need to go over and, and try to do your best. And that's how I think they are able to, to go over those things is using these little things of psychology to, to make a team together. Yeah, 100%. And that, you're probably thinking of the same manager as I am, but there's a, a famous Portuguese manager who is... Uh, as you that, <laughs> that for the for, and he's built he, you know that's that's a massive part of of his of his psychology and his philosophy the way he plays is that if you convince your team that everyone else is against you um then you know you look at someone like Jose Mourinho who's obviously who I'm referring to is yeah, that of sort of <laughs> us us you know us against them uh, it's us against the world they're going to try and take you down and I, as you say there, I can't see a bit of that in in Ruben Amarim in, in terms of 
yeah, you might be, you know, really talented footballers, you might be technically good, you know, you might be fast, you might be but can you take that motivation into every game that every team wants to beat you? Because you're sporting it in a position that they haven't been in for, for a while. You know, they've obviously always been one of Ostris Grands, they're always one of the big three, they always will be. And but they've for you know, as far as their fans, supporters and the club themselves are concerned, they've sat by and watched uh, Benfica and Porto win too many titles for, as far as they're concerned and they they look this season so, so hungry. And as you say there about turning, you know, what people say against you, at the start of the season they you know whether you whether you check out like record Abola, none of those pre-season predictions we're talking about sporting to have you know a possible nine point gap over Benfica at the start of February and and that is potentially what we what we could see so it's it's that expectation the weight of expectation and what do people think you're capable of and can you exceed that can you go to the next level yeah, and you can see by in the beginning of the season when Sporting is knocked out of the Europa League, uh, Ruben Amorim says something that was very interesting in the in the press conference, which was he tells the players not to read any newspapers the next day. So to keep them, you're not as bad because at the time, for people to remember, they lost 4-1 at home against Lind, which yeah. is not a normal result. And... Um, but he tells the players not to go and search the game online, not to read any newspapers, nothing, because they're not as bad as what people are going to tell them. But with that situation, he makes them, everyone outside is going to tell you that you are terrible and you're not good enough for this club. So he was able quite quickly, because he's still a very young team and a new team as well, there's a lot of new players. And in a quite quickly way, he makes a very good spirit of the team and you can see that everyone is together fighting for the same thing, which really helps in the environment where there's no fans, so there's no outside input to give you that little extra, so it needs to be them creating for themselves. Yeah, spot on, spot on. So what you're trying to tell me, Philippe, is that none of the sporting players are reading prosimajonada.com? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> what, a, what a shame. <laughs> well, luckily this season, we've only had nothing but good things to say, so it won't so, harm... So you find that. <laughs> yeah, it won't harm anyone's confidence. <laughs> but, no, I do I do think that's that's important, as you say. When things are going, when things are going bad, they'll, you know, people will always try and make out like it's going... A lot worse than what it is, and and it, to be fair, the you know a lot of people will do that when it's going good as well. You, you know you, you've seen with some teams, uh, in in certain leagues they win a couple of games and it's you know they're the best team ever and then they get beat and it's right back down to square one. You know they're the worst team, so it it just shows how sort of flippant you know football is. But just um, we were talking about the teams before, just on one of the one of the misses, and I know. That Sporting put in a a bid to see the yellow card overturned, uh, which was which was denied. So we will be missing the game. How big of a miss do you think Joao Bellinia will be for Sporting? Uh, it's a big miss. For in my opinion, he's the most important player for Sporting, even more than in Pedro Gonçalves because he's the one that gives the balance to the team. So what is going to make uh, to happen is something similar to what happened against Bolvista, which is with the ball. Jomai is going to have to drop quite a lot. 
but that normally happens anyway. But the big problem is without the ball, which is Palhinha is a, a team, a player that's able to recover the ball really high on the pitch. So that's why if you think about previous games where he plays, he, most of his recoveries are not in his own half, on the opposition half which is very good for the way that Sporting plays because when the other team has the ball, what they normally do, you ask your team to open up. And if you have a player like Pellini that's able to recover the ball in that transition, what's going to happen at you? Then you're going to play through balls to Nuno Sanchez, Pedro Gonçalves, Thiago Tomás, Porar, whatever plays up front, in a moment where the other team is recovering. So that's why sometimes it looks like they have a lot of space to go because that's what just happened. Without Palhinha, what happens is Mateus Nunes and João Mario are going to drop a bit more. So there'll be less recoveries up front, which means Sporting going to be in a much more compact way in their own half um, instead of trying to be trying to win the ball a bit high on the pitch. So that's the biggest difference. It's a big difference how to see the game and before a game to happen changes a lot in the way they're going to plan how to attack. Yeah, as you say there, you become a little bit more reactive rather than proactive. Uh, if you're winning the ball, or you're trying to win the ball high up the pitch, obviously that's to your advantage. You're closer to the goal, that's simple. Um, but as you say, without them, it gives the other side as well a chance You know, to come into the half. If you've got central midfielders who are playing deeper, um, as you say, a lot more compact, a lot more structured. Um, and then you're seeing, you know, if we expect Benfica to have you know, lots of the ball tomorrow, then I think it would have been really, really important for someone like Joao Bellinia to try and push Benfica back up the pitch and, and win the ball high up. But so, yeah, he'll be, yeah. you know, and, a huge, and even, huge miss. And even without without the ball, when they die in a low block, uh, João Mari doesn't cover that much distance. So normally Spallinha, they're almost playing in two different roles because he plays next to João Mari. But because João Mari doesn't recover as often, he plays almost behind João Mari as well. And with Mateus Nunes, it's, it's harder. So, João is going to have to think more defensively as well. So, he's going to be less creative up front. And, and so, that means in the centre mid, you're going to have to drop even a bit more as well because you're going to have probably almost creative player thinking that, OK, I'm not having Palhinha next to me, so I'm going to have to defend a bit more. So, that brings automatically and switches on everyone on in everyone's head that they're going to have to drop a bit more. So that will make a big difference. But yeah, I think Mefico have most of the ball and and Sporting will try to stay compact, not making sure nothing goes in between. And then when they win the ball, how quick can they explore the spacing behind the centre-backs? Yeah, very, very interesting. I'm really looking forward to it more so. Um, the You know, this is the type of game it might be cagey at times. There's so much expectation um, for both sides. Obviously, Benfica, they win the game, then you know that's that's points made up. And if Sporting win the game, obviously they go uh, nine points clear, which is you know it's not an insurmountable lead, but it's it's huge. Yeah, it's huge, especially at this sort of point of the season. We're coming up to that halfway point. So yeah, really looking forward to it. I'd ask for predictions, but with with a uh, with a classical with a with a derby, I don't, I don't like making predictions myself. I'm just hoping for. Yeah. Uh, a good game. Um, as you say, you pointed out some of the some of the key areas of the pitch where the game might be won and lost. Uh, again, I'll go back to the fact that they're without Jujuju. Uh, so again, reiterate the point I made earlier. We hope uh, he makes you know a speedy recovery and he's back on the sideline uh, as sooner soon as possible, sooner rather than later. And yeah, really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, me too. Uh, it's going to be a good game. In Portugal, they have a saying that is the the team that's the worst in the in the Clásico that normally wins. So we'll see. If that's the case, then Benfica will win. But that's, that's something <laughs> that people say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think form usually goes... It's a cliche. Out that of form, the window. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cliche, but you know, yeah, it's true. It's true. We've we've so you know. Imagine we, if people listening to the podcast would be like, "Oh, let's uh, know be more tactically about the teams," and I come out and say, "Well, form goes out of the window. There's no predictions to be made. <laughs> There's no predictions. I can't tell you how it's going to be played. I mean, you've got you've got one team that have came into this." You know, at times looking really shaky, and you've got another t- a team that comes in who haven't lost a game in the league yet. But again, it goes out of the window, so it all <laughs> means nothing. <laughs> yeah, um, I, it definitely is going to be a good game, and I don't think they'll do the same thing as they did in in Super Tasa. And Tasa the league is is hard to compare because they were without such like half yeah. of the team, ten players, which makes obviously a big big difference. So I think it'll be will be a good game, but yeah, I don't think they'll be happy with a draw. They're gonna have to go and try try to win, because they if they draw, they'll be still six points behind Sporting. But even more yeah. important, they will probably lose points for Porto because Porto plays uh, against Rioav uh, yeah. at home. Probably they're gonna win, so they're gonna lose points with them, and that's gonna be a big gap to win points against Sporting and Porto in a in a league like Portuguese that normally the big teams don't lose that many points. It will be too hard for them. And at the time of recording, we've only actually saw four games that have been played so far in Jornada 16 uh, as of Sunday night. Lots of games on Monday. Uh, we've also got Morenains versus SC Braga. That's a quarter to eight. Uh, FC Porto versus Griovav kicks off a little bit earlier. That's uh, seven o'clock. And the early kickoff is five o'clock. And that's Santa Clara and uh, Baysad. So some good games there. FC Porto, Griovav will be very interesting one. Uh, Sergio Conceição's men will obviously be looking to uh, keep up the pace at the top of the league. They'll be hoping for a draw between Sporting and Benfica, and if they can take three points at Griovav, uh, that's a home, that's a Estadio do Dragao. So they'll be looking to put their best foot forward. You know they can't look at the results of others. They've just got to continue winning games and uh, mind their own business and and do what they need to do. Uh, they're on thirty five points at the moment. They're on a good run at the moment, uh, Porto. So. Uh, obviously, they had the disappointment in the Tassa uh, against Sporting where they had that late comeback. But as far as league fixtures are concerned, they've been playing very, very well. Um, they went on a run where they beat Nacional, then Vitoria, Morinés, Familicao, and then they had that draw with Benfica. But then they bounced back, a win against Farens, a win in the Tassa de Portugal against Gil Vicente, and then now they play Rio Ave. So... That'll be a big test. Rio have a good side, 12th at the minute, haven't had the best of starts to the season. They're one of many teams who are sort of near the bottom of that table. There's there's just not a lot in it at all. Familicao on 14 points, Bovista on 14, Bayside on 15, Porto Manense on 15, Rio on 15. And that's excluding the bottom two. 
uh, Ferenc and Gilles Vicente, who were on 12 and 13 points respectively. So it's really, really tight down there. There's there's a lot of teams down there who didn't anticipate being there uh, at the start of the season. So difficult fixture always to, to come to the Dragao and get something. But um, yeah, looking forward to that one. And then in terms of the games that have been played, um, as I say, there's been four games. There was three on Saturday and one on Sunday. So we'll start off with Saturday's action. Uh, Familicao lost again uh, against Nacional. They were beaten 2-1. Really disappointing uh, start to the season. I say start to the season. They've played 16 games and still have only won three. So um, just coming up to that midway point in the season, not quite there yet, but definitely need to turn it around. They've got the players... Completely different squad to last year, but they've got the, the players' capability of of getting out of that situation, you, you'd think. Uh, obviously, they've brought in some players recently as well, the likes of Ruben Vanagre on loan. And players who have got quality and they just they're, they need to find a way to, to even draw games. Um, if they can't win, then at least be solid enough to, to draw, but they're just losing constantly. Uh, they, they won one recently against Santa Clara, but in between that, there was three defeats on one side and two defeats on the other side. So, yeah, the when the wins are coming, they're just being sandwiched in with defeats after defeats, not drawing a lot of games and not winning a lot of games. So, we'll see how that one turns out. Maybe the disappointment is... Well, it is. The disappointment is is greater because of how well they did last season. You know, Joao Pedro Sousa took them on the brink of qualifying for Europe. You know, they were top of the table at one point uh, at the start of the season. Um, but, you know, that this was a team that was promoted last season. Nobody expected them to, to overachieve the way that they did. So, for them to be struggling this season, they did lose... A lot of a lot of players, like Ruben Lomeiras. They they had a lot of players on loan as well. Perez, the defender, and then also uh, Pedro Gonçalves, obviously who's moved permanently to Sporting, who's you know the top scorer in the league. So you've lost a player that's incredibly influential, and yeah, they're just sort of struggling to piece together uh, a good run of form. But there's still a lot of the season left. As I say, we're not we're not halfway there yet, so. They'll be looking to turn things around sooner rather than later. Uh, Tom Della uh, with a 2-0 win against Ferenc. Disappointing result for Ferenc who are rock bottom of the table at the moment on 12 points. And for Tom Della, they're up to 7th in the league, 18 points. Uh, there's quite a big gap between Tom Della in 7th and then obviously the teams above. So from Sporting in 1st down to Passos de Ferreira in 6th. It goes from 39 points to Sporting down to Passos in 28. But then there's another gap of 10 points between Passos and Dondela. So trying to bridge that gap towards Europe, maybe, you know, a bridge too far. But they're putting points on the board. <laughs> they're still losing uh, quite a few games. The, the form is actually, I'd say inconsistent, but it's consistent how inconsistent it is. Uh, the recent games have been lost one, lost one, lost one. Uh, so expecting a loss in the next game against Passos de Ferreira if form is anything to go by. Um, but as I say, they're putting some wins on the board. They're up to 7th in the league. And it was a good result for them. And Bovista, a team who I spoke about on the last podcast with Tom Cundit, a team who needed a win, really. Uh, they won 2-1 against Porto Manense. Uh, they're now 15th. They're out the relegation zone. 
16th place plays a relegation playoff. Uh, so they're up to 15th on 14 points. Still nowhere near where they'd want to be, but they've put their best foot forward. They've got a result. Uh, one of the players we spoke about on the last podcast, uh, Albert Elise, he scored. And um, yeah, a 2-1 win, solid victory. And uh, yeah, they'll look towards their next fixture. Um, they play Gilles Vicente at home. They'll be looking at that to think, can they put together consecutive wins for the first time uh, this season? So, yeah, it's been very, very patchy. The fact that we're talking about Bovis, they're only winning, potentially winning two games on the spin for the first time uh, If as we're going into February is not what we expected, but there's still a lot of ground to make up in this season. And then the last game that was played was uh, today, uh, Sunday, 31st of Jan, and that was Vittoria against Maritimo. Uh, Vittoria with a, a good victory. They, um, they're up to fifth. They're into the European places now, 29 points, just one point off Braga. Uh, so, and it, they look quite shaky as well. Um, in like earlier on in the season, the sports have started the season, they had some good form and then they hit a dip. But you're looking at the recent form, they've won three consecutive games and they've only conceded one in that time. So things are looking on the up for Vittoria. And uh, for Maritimo, a disappointing, disappointing game. They've been, especially after their dip, they then got, got themselves back to you know relatively good form. And they were winning both in the cup and in the league. And then it looks like they've just hit a bit of a uh, hit of another a bit of a patch. They lost to Estoril in the Tassa, uh, Tassa to Portugal, and then they uh, they lost before that to Passos to Ferreira in the league. And obviously they've lost again here to Vitoria. So, you know, it's not the end of the world for Maritimo, but they do have Sporting up next. So, again, another difficult game. And we'll be watching to see how they do in that. And the next week's episode of the Portuguese Football Show will include uh, a reaction to all the games that are to be played tomorrow. Uh, and then also uh, next week's fixtures. The way that the podcast is working is um, it's hard to keep up at times because... There's so much football, uh, there's so many games being played, obviously doing one episode a week. There's match weeks where teams will have played twice, so it's coming thick and fast. So, um, yeah, looking forward to to uh, talking about all the matches that are to come. I'm Nuno Gomes, and this is Próxima Jornada. Now, in the past couple of hours, there's been some uh, recent revelation regarding transfers and also some managerial moves. First of all, we saw Ferro, the central defender from Benfica, who we saw when he first emerged, uh, develop a really good relationship with Ruben Dias at Benfica, and then sort of was in and out of the side, um, dropped in form, and then sort of just completely disappeared from the side and possibly took a bit of a knock to his confidence when his form dropped. He's moved on loan to Valencia in Spain, which Valencia, as far as the on-the-field stuff, they've got a squad with talent. You know, the likes of Gonzalo Gerdes, uh, Thierry Correa, his country, uh, country mates, compatriots are there, which should help him settle in. Uh, he's still a very young player, um, the off-field stuff, I know Valencia are having a little bit of a tumultuous time at the moment, particularly with their owners, 
and uh, the financial situation. But just hoping the on-field stuff, Ferro can play, establish himself as a starter, and yeah, really just kick on, gain some confidence, put in some good performances, and and when he returns to Benfica, he can uh, hopefully slot himself in. Uh, into that Benfica defence. He's a much younger option, obviously, to the Ottomanian Vertonghen, who they've spent money on. So breaking into that at the moment was always going to be difficult. But he's a player who's got potential. He's a player who's got talent because we've saw it. We've saw him play when he was uh, full of confidence and he was playing well. So we know it's in there. Uh, it's just about unlocking it. And hopefully this is the move that can perhaps kickstart it. Again, I have my reservations about Valencia at the moment, but I prefer to be optimistic. So, hoping you know we get to see some good performances out of him, and he performs at a high level uh, against some really top teams in a you know in a really really good league. That's La Liga. So, looking forward to keeping an eye on his progress, uh, as well as uh, Correa and Getch. Another rumor that has been circulating in the newspapers in Portugal and in his native Scotland, is that Ryan Gold is being looked at by Braga as an alternative. Uh, Yuri Medeiros, who's just suffered uh, an injury, his uh, ruptured ligaments, which will put him out for the rest of the season. So, first and foremost, we wish him a speedy recovery. He's been fantastic this season, Medeiros, and it's sad to see his season cut short so early. But Ryan Gold is someone who has been... A consistently top performer. Bear in mind he's playing for friends who are bottom of Premier League. So it's always going to be difficult for him. But the games, what they have won or where they've performed well. He's the talisman. He's the person who makes it happen. He's got four goals and four assists for a team who are rock bottom. That tells you everything you need to know. He's won the joint most man of the match awards in the Premier League so far. He's level with Pedro Gonçalves. So... The talent is there, we know that, and uh, he's been you know, fantastic. I would love to see him playing for a team like Braga, someone that are competing at the other end of the table. His contract runs out in the summer, so whether it is Braga and Carlos Carvajal looking to get some sort of pre-agreement in place, or whether it's an immediate thing, as I say, to replace Yuri Medeiros, but that is where the rumours have came from in the last couple of hours and days. So we'll look to that one with with interest. And then in terms of managers, recent news, as I say, this is, sun, this is Sunday I'm recording. So this may not be breaking news by the time it comes out. Was that Joao Pedro Sousa, the Famalicão manager, um, will leave the club. He's been sacked. Obviously, they were promoted um, two seasons ago now. And then last season, he took over. He was previously the Everton assistant manager under Marco Silva and then he left to become a first team manager and Familicao for him was a project you know he was interested in. They had really good links for with top clubs like Atletico Madrid where they were able to, to pull in young players on loan and sort of assemble a side on the cheap side you know with really low cost transfers and then loans and as I mentioned earlier on in the show, it just hasn't worked for them this season. They just haven't kicked on. They lost basically an entire squad and they've had to rebuild. And obviously when you buy 
and loan a lot of new players. They have to gel. They have to develop and understand them with each other. And then when you're coming off the back of a season where you've overachieved, you've overperformed, you've then got to sort it. If you're not matching that stride for stride, then scrutiny and criticism comes your way a lot quicker than if, for example, last season they had, you know, they stayed up by the skin of the teeth or they were just comfortable. Uh, they were comfortable, but they didn't challenge towards the top. They were nowhere near the European places. Then, you know, the pressure's a little less. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And if the rumours are true, then he has been removed from his position as head coach. Now we go to someone who has officially been removed from his position as head coach, and that's Sergio Vieira, who is the manager of France. Uh, again, it's always disappointing when you see uh, a manager leave, uh, a manager be sacked, uh, removed from his position. But they're bottom of the league at the moment. They've got 12 points on the board. They still only two points from leaving the relegation zone. So, But I think the way friends are probably looking at it is we need to get someone in now rather than waiting longer. Get someone in, get out of the relegation zone and... You know, do what we can to stay up. There's so many sides down there with good squads, you know, with talented squads. The likes of Kriovav, Bovista, Familco, and friends need to keep hold of, you know, their key players and just hope that the, whoever the manager comes in is, they stop conceding goals um, and they can, uh, they can just put some more points on the board. In three victories, three draws, nine defeats. Uh, so it's the it's the joint most for defeats in the entire league. Uh, so yeah, they need to start putting points on the board. And I don't know, don't think it's been announced yet who is going to replace him. I imagine the assistant will probably take charge for a short while, uh, and then. But as I say, by the time this comes out tomorrow, they may well have announced another manager. And then lastly, on managers outside of Portugal now, here we go to Andre Villas-Boas who. His uh, came out the other day and said that he thinks it's the end for him. Uh, he's out of contract at the end of the season. It doesn't look like he'll be renewing. The scenes at Marseille it just keep getting worse. The club uh, off the pitch are in some real ruin at the moment. And the recent scenes of the ultras storming the training ground, never good to see. Uh, we've saw it before, and yeah, unsavoury scenes, letting fireworks off, and apparently set fire to some things outside of the stadium, and as I say, it's not great, they ended up cancelling their game, uh, they were supposed to be playing in the league this weekend, uh, that was postponed, and yeah, it remains to be seen what happens with Villas-Boas, whether he actually leaves before the end of the season, or whether he just sees this season out, uh, disappointment really for him and for the club because last season they were at times you know they were pushing Paris Saint-Germain and in the end you know they, they won the title and they won it comfortably but second place took them into the Champions League and then this season obviously had a very difficult uh, Champions League campaign they were in the same group as, as FC Porto uh, Villas-Boas' old club and in the league, where they performed so well last season, they're down to ninth at the moment. Bear in mind, they've, they've got two games in hand over most clubs, especially those at the top. Uh, they've only played 20 games. But, yeah, ninth position, it's not looking good. They're on 32 points. Lille are already on 48. So, 
you know, getting anywhere near the title, that's gone. Uh, Champions League places, you've got Paris Saint-Germain in third on 45 points, and then AS Monaco in fourth uh, on um, on on 42. And again, that's a Europa League place, so they're nowhere near the Champions League places. They're still at the 10 points off a Europa League place, so it's not looking good. Their ambition now is just to secure a mid-table finish. They're in no danger of going down. Uh, things aren't that bad. Um, I mean, I'd hate to see the scenes and the reaction from the Marseille Ultras if they were actually, you know, threatened with relegation. But um, yeah, they're, they're a good, I think about 18 points off the drop zone. So that's, uh, yeah, that's no concern at all. But yeah, not good to see where Villas-Boas goes next. Uh, we don't know. As I say, he did a really good job last season. Disappointing that it's sort of unravelling in the way that it is. But if Villas-Boas chooses to go into uh, stay in management rather and go for another club, hopefully goes somewhere with a bit more stability. Marseille have got deeper issues uh, than just who the head coach is. They've got, obviously the fans aren't happy with the club's hierarchy. Um, their financial issues off the field. It's just not great, really, there. And who knows what's next for AVB. He's one of those characters where you never know what's next around the corner. I don't think he even he knows what's next. Uh, he's had such such a strange managerial career so far. Uh, and he's still so young. He's still got so much to give to football. It's just whether he sticks around long enough to do it. And that concludes this week's episode of the Portuguese Football Show with me, Adam Barton. A big thank you to Philippe Melo for coming on and discussing the classical. Uh, make sure to follow him. As I say, he's the newest member of the Prossima Jornada team. So look forward to his tactical insights and articles, and podcast appearances and much more from himself. Uh, myself, as usual, I've been Adam Barton. I've been your host. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share, retweet, like, wherever you're listening to this, watching this, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, Apple, uh, wherever. The Speaking of YouTube, we've recently launched the Prossima Jornada YouTube channel, hoping to create some cool video content to put up on there. But if you could go to the channel and subscribe, get our numbers up, uh, that all helps. Like, the first video we've put on there is the visual version of the Ryan Gold interview that I conducted back in November. So uh, a really good insight into him as a player and as a person and his aspirations for the future. So if you could go to that and share that, if you could share this podcast, uh, you know, do the usual things. If you could leave a review, uh, it all helps. So if you're listening to this, I'm speaking to you and you directly. Uh, it only takes a couple of seconds, as I say, to leave a, a star review on Apple or give it a share, give it a retweet, and uh, leave a comment on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Honestly, it all helps. I will see you all next week for episode number four of the Portuguese Football Show. Uh, thank you for listening.